Okay. Three, two, one. Another week and another edition of the Pat Richter Show here on ESPN Madison. Happy Saturday morning to each and every one of you. Alex Strofe alongside former Wisconsin Athletic Director, the man and the legend, I think we've decided on, Mr. Pat Richter. Pat, happy Saturday. How are you? Well, good to be with you. Alex, we get rid of the myth. <laughs> it's good. No myths about you, Pat. No myths right. about you. Uh, but a ton to get into, Pat. A huge week in sports. Um, some controversies, some lawsuits, some uh, some big games for Badgers hoops. We'll get into all that. And a new logo for your former team, the Washington football team. So we'll get into that as well down the road. But I do want to start off with Brian Flores. And uh, as you know, uh, a lawsuit to the NFL after several interesting things happened to him during this offseason. Fired from Miami getting texts from Bill Belichick, uh, being the wrong Brian. I mean, it's just all over the place, Pat. But as a guy who's been in in positions of hiring coaches and been on boards that have hired coaches, especially at the collegiate level, uh, you know this world better than most people. So uh, I guess let's start with you know Brian Flores calling it an issue, the, the lack of black coaches in the National Football League. What's your perspective on this and the hiring processes that go on uh, in the background of all this, well, it's actually if you look at the numbers, and it's true. It, there is a lack. I mean, there's 70 percent of the players in the NFL now today are African American or of color, and uh, the coaches, the head coaches in the football teams in the NFL right now, is actually less than the Rooney Rule uh, when the Rooney Rule was imp- uh, implemented, and that really does not uh, bode well. And there's been a lot of discussion in terms of well. Where do they come from, the offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators? They work up the ladder to the tree. And you know, some of it has to do with the NFL. And uh, they uh, get uh, young up-and-coming coaches, and they bring into an internship program. They work their way into the system uh, and into get into the college coaching ranks or the, or the professional ranks and uh, as assistants. But there's never been – any you know groundswell with respect to hiring uh, head coaches now there's been a number of head coaches that have been hired and fired and uh well, I think we only have uh, now one today and and uh that's Tomlin at, at Pittsburgh and so he's uh done a pretty good job there and he's he's had good ownership and good leadership with respect to uh supporting uh, him, his programs and things like this but the NFL really has uh, has really stumbled and fumbled the ball. Uh, Using different uh, per- terminology, with respect to people understand along the way, they they go about the business. I, you know, I'm not going to say that they're going through the motions, but the results show that there there has been not lots of uh, individuals that have gotten second, third chances that, uh, that were not African American or of color and uh, others that didn't get a chance. And some of them I can understand. You know, I think we talked maybe last year or year before on the program with respect to uh, Eric Bieniemy, who was a high-touted uh, African-American coach at uh, Kansas yeah. City working for Andy Reid. And well, I saw one comment about the fact that when they were trying to say, well, why wasn't he hired, someone that was close to the situation said, well, I understand that when he – was asked, you know, who you have coming with you with respect to assistant coaches, things like this. How is your staff going to play out? Who is it? He's, and he either said he didn't, he hadn't really thought of that, or didn't have that answer. 
and uh, that was the excuse that they used. Now, that was the answer that I was looking for when I was was hiring our coach back in uh, 1990, and uh, and I was actually came from John Jardine, and John Jardine said it's very important that you ask, you know, who's who's coming with you because that gives a signal that. There's a number of people that feel confident that they're going to be successful and they would be willing to hitch their wagon to that uh, train, so to speak, and put their career on the line to come along. And when I hired Barry, it was one of the questions I asked, and he had the name of Dan McCarney, and a couple other guys came as well. And one of the uh, assistant coaches, very well known, I'm not going to say his name, when I asked him that question, and he would have been a very solid candidate, I said, well, you know, who's going to be coming with you? Have you got anybody in mind running your staff? He said, well, I really hadn't thought about that. And Well, that was a signal to me that he hadn't really prepared himself for that opportunity, and it was pretty kind of a, the best judgment uh, that you can get is someone that is willing to put their career on the line and say, I'm going to, I'm going to come with you because I know you're going to be a good coach and we're going to be successful and it's going to enhance my career. You know, and if you don't have that, uh, you know, you lose a big piece of the puzzle. So some of that, you know, go falls on some of the people that they've talked to, and obviously uh, sometimes it's a surprise when they're asked because they, you know, really are new in the career and they haven't really thought it through and is understandable in some respects. But uh, just the results just don't show very well, and, and there's a number of individuals that have been successful. The one Flores at Miami, I think, was uh, you know dramatically fired because he had uh, I think won eight or nine last games, seven or eight or something like this. He started one and seven, then he won eight straight, and seemed like he had done a pretty good job. And then to to make a bad situation even worse, then of course the things that he alleged, Flores alleged, with regards to a uh, hundred thousand dollars for each loss and things like this. That's the real serious part when you start tampering with the with the way the game is played. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into next, Pat. And, and I appreciate all the great perspective there going back to, to when you uh, hire Barry Alvarez because, I mean, a lot of us aren't in those situations. So it's interesting to hear what the, what the process is like a little bit. But with the alleged tanking, right, Brian Flores says that Stephen Ross, the o- owner of the Miami Dolphins, offered him $100,000 for each loss in the 2019 season which was Flores's first season in Miami. He ended up winning five games that year. Um, and there was reports, according to Flores, that Ross was visibly angry when they would win football games, which is not a good <laughs> accusation. And now later in the week you have Hugh Jackson coming out, who was formerly the head coach at, with the Cleveland Browns the year they went 0-16. He said he made $750,000 that year. Uh, for losing all those games. Uh, so when you start tampering with the integrity of the league, Pat, this is a really, really serious, now several accusations. Uh, I mean, what do, you, what do you make of hearing the alleged tanking uh, accusations from, from both these coaches? Well, the situation with uh, Hugh Jackson is something you can sh- sure to be able to prove in, in that respect with bank receipts and things like this. And if, in fact, his salary was higher than it was publicized to be, and that was the extra income that he got, then you've got some proof that uh, it's pretty hard to, ref- uh, to uh, refute. And, uh, and that's going to be very important. I mean, it's not, you know, you hear about baseball at the end of the season, the guys sitting and rather than playing, you know, we're getting ready for the playoffs and the World Series, things like this. 
NBA, same situation, resting guys at the end of the season. But their NBA has put in a little bit of a catch clause in there in respect to if, in fact, you're not necessarily tanking but holding out your better players to rest them up for the playoffs. You know, it's not going to be – you can't easily select and say, well, if I do this, I'm going to get the first round uh, draft choice. I'm going to get the first pick in the draft and things like this. They made it so that it would be difficult because they say that, uh, you know, you get a a lottery pick. And then there's five uh, individual teams that have an opportunity. And so, you know, is is it something to risk that for to get, you know, the first pick or possibly so, or the fifth pick, which maybe is doubtful. So there's things that they've got to do to, to, to stop that. I mean, it's certainly there's water over the dam now, and it's pretty much showing that the dam is broken. And, uh, and it's, you start to get, uh, you know, it affects the, the gambling and the, and the betting and things like this, which is obviously a huge uh, way of looking at things. It affects, uh, uh, you know, fantasy football, which is huge, and the NFL has made a big deal of supporting that program. I mean, but it's also just the biggest thing is it just destroys the integrity of the game. You know, it's like the Black Sox back in the 20s or whatever it was throwing baseball games. You know, this is very serious stuff, and I think that uh, in that respect, it's going to be very, very difficult. Somebody other than the NFL is going to have to take a look at it because the NFL has already, you know, kind of cited who they're on in terms of backing. I mean, I saw that full well when I was – player representative back in 1970 negotiations and uh, Pete Rosell was uh, running the meetings well you know, Pete Rosell was the uh, the owner's person and so we kind of tongue in cheek said well let's make him the commissioner for all of football let's we'll we'll pay say, half his salary it was like $200,000 at the time and we said we'll pay half the salary so then he's really kind of unbiased in terms of representing the players and the owners, he's the commissioner of football, which is above all that stuff. Well, that's not realistic, and uh, that's what's coming down now is the fact that the, that the, the uh, Goodell and the NFL has already denied all this business. Well, and they're going to do the investigation. Well, I mean, somebody someplace is going to ask for some kind of a unpartial, impartial inquiry, and it's going to be a little bit more serious than that, and that's where that's the rubber is going to hit the road. And uh, and it's really a shame because, you know, there's a lot of good people out there that are that are certainly qualified, minority uh, qualifications of, of being a football head football coach in the NFL. There's a lot of people out there that certainly are qualified for that. And now, you know, every time they're selected, you can look around and say, well, is it because of what they've done or what they are? And that, that you know, really is a kind of a hollow uh, promise to do something like that. But... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Flores himself because he he's told the teams that he's been interviewing that this has all been on the table, and he's still the finalist. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, do do you think this affects? I imagine it will. What happens to him long term? A lot of people think maybe he will never get a job again. Many people think he's still obviously highly qualified given the season he just had you mentioned earlier he won eight of his last nine games and was fired i mean it's it's yeah. kind of unprecedented areas uh but there's also some that believe he could get a a colin kaepernick treatment of sorts right uh standing up for himself and what he believes in and and being punished in a sense that way i mean there's no right way to predict it but but do you see how the after effects of a lawsuit like this could be for him well, it's it's going to be interesting because uh, you know, with respect to the teams, 
uh, again, he himself has got to say, well, did they pick? Why did they pick me? Did they say somebody fall on their sword? Say that uh, we'll for, we'll take one for the league. We'll hire you. Uh, you know what kind of a treatment is that? And so, and on the other hand, if to do a Kaepernick, I mean, he was obviously. If you got Bill Belichick to sit down and say, well, was he qualified to be a head coach? Da da da. What's happened? Uh, you, know, you got to know that his answer is going to be positive in that regard. So uh, it's it's damn if you do, damn if you don't. And but it's they're they're going to be in hot water no matter what. And even if he did get a head coaching job, you know what the scrutiny is going to be? Is somebody willing as an owner, if in fact things don't go well? You know how long are they going to put up with it? Because take one for the yeah. team and and just stick it out. And uh, I mean these are high stakes, uh, billion dollar type situations, and that uh, they're involved in. And, and obviously, you know you're going to be seeing maybe maybe kind of boycotts in terms of uh, sponsorships and things like this. I mean, who knows? I mean it's, we're in a different world today, even different than when we were in uh, Colin Kaepernick. And so yeah, totally. But uh, this situation, especially with the information that's on those uh, emails that Bill Belichick sent out, uh, you know, is pretty damning. It is pretty damning. That Belichick uh, portion of that is, is very interesting for those of you unaware, right? Bill Belichick texts Brian Flores, says, congratulations, Sound like you're, sounds like you're the Giants guy, heard this from the Bills and the Giants. Uh, Brian Flores says, thanks, but I haven't interviewed yet. Um, and it turns out the Bills hire Brian Dable from the Buffalo Bills rather than Brian Flores. Bill got his Brian's mixed up. It's 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 not a, a pretty situation uh, overall. So last thing on this, Pat, and uh, that's why you, I stay away from the social media. Exactly right. Exactly. Uh, last thing on this, we had Matt Monte Ball on the jump around earlier this week, and uh, you you know Monte, former Wisconsin running back, uh, former NFL player, uh, of course, a man of color. Who's, who's lived in America his whole life, so ha- has a unique perspective that neither me or Jim Rutledge have. Um, and he said, you know, he doesn't think the NFL is racist, but there are certainly things that can change in terms of the process. And you referenced that uh, in your first response on this situation. The Rooney r- rule is in place for good reasons, but as you said, it doesn't really seem to be working. How, how can the NFL view this or change this going forward? Is there anything that comes to mind for you, or is it just really a, a difficult situation that uh, needs to be viewed longer than maybe a, a, you know, a couple-minute conversation that me and you are having? How do you, how do you view this going forward? Well, I think you're right. I mean, there's no question. I mean, this, when you have a, an ownership, basically, other than the Packers, that is, is primarily one owner who has deep pockets and things like this, and it's an economic uh, situation depending on where they're located, environment, things like this. I mean, they've got a huge investment in there in terms of uh, what's going on. And in some respects, you know, they all say that they want to win the Super Bowl and things like this. But, uh, you know, we've seen that that, you know, after the first couple of weeks or so, that some of that goes right out the window. And uh, But I, I think that this is something that be very difficult to unwind because you can't you're not going to be able to tell people to who to hire and how can you uh i mean other than the head coach at the team that they're they're maybe an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator or whatever other than that coach the, who are they going to get to, to stand behind them and the the coach you know theoretically should be the the head coach should be the one that really knows best whether that person can be a head coach because they are they had coach already, and generally they've been successful. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had 
the opportunity to uh, to interview for the head coaching job. So uh, how are you going to dispute that? And uh, it's going to be very difficult to do in the respect to the, respect to the uh, uh, Kaepernick situation. You know, if it comes down to boycotts and whatever, I mean, it's just not a good situation because then, as I mentioned before, you know, do you really have questions about the person uh, in terms of legitimate questions that might not be answered and just have to be kind of tossed aside because you're doing something for more or less from an affirmative action standpoint mm-hmm. and uh, and what the feelings are in the country. And that's where it will probably end up is a little bit, there's going to be a lot more people that are going to be active in terms of uh, trying to get something done. It's going to be, and it might go to boycotts and things like this. Uh, and the players themselves may have to sit up and say something about it. And I think maybe that's where uh, some of this may head as the players start raising their head. And it may be something even about negotiations and, and mediation and things like this that they're talking about with contracts. And is there something we put in there? You know, it's just it's just hard to explain. You know, what makes Doug Peterson a better coach than Brian Flores, for example. Uh, he won a Super Bowl, yes, but everybody will say, well, it's because of so-and-so and whatever, and maybe hit lightning in a bottle, and hasn't been successful ever since. And so is that better or worse than someone young, aggressive, coming out like Flores and some of the other coaches most recently? You know, what they're doing basically on a clean slate, and usually they're when they're hired, they're coming into a bad situation. And so how much time do they yeah. have? And in the case of Miami, that didn't seem like it was long enough. I completely agree with you there, right? I mean, it, for a guy to win eight of his last nine games and get fired, it's just crazy to me when you inherit a situation like the one Flores did. So, uh, brilliant insight, Pat. Appreciate it uh, on uh, everything Brian Flores going on right now. It's it's uh, certainly uh, an interesting one to keep an eye on, and I'm sure that will not be the last we talk about this because it'll last probably at least all off season. So uh, we'll pick up on that uh, again next week because I'm sure we'll have plenty of new information to, to lean into. But this is the Pat Richter Show. Alex Strofe alongside former Wisconsin Athletic Director Pat Richter. And, and Pat, we'll stick in the NFL because you spent eight years in Washington, formerly the Redskins when you were there, um, and now they finally have landed on a new team name, right? They were the Washington football team for two years, and they announced on Groundhog's Day earlier this week the Washington Commanders, the new name of the team, moving forward. Your reaction is what? Uh, not disbelief. or I mean, it, it happened, but it wasn't a name that I, I had thought of, and I guess <laughs> I had almost gotten to the point of thinking that every good name has been used up, and maybe that's the case, but... Uh, <laughs> Somebody said we ought to trade the, uh, the 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 name of the team and the nickname of the team for the, with Cleveland Browns, so it should be the Cleveland Commanders and the uh, the Washington uh, Guardians. And uh, I think that would be a misnomer given what Congress does by and large anyway. So uh, I think that you know it, it's very difficult, and I know that they've. I think Ron Rivera even said this: that they looked at a number of names and, and just all kinds of names. It isn't somewhere, some way, they can people can look at it and say, "Oh well, wait a minute, why did you do this?" Because of this, everything had to be just thoroughly varnished in terms of. I mean, even now there's been some comments about, well, 
it had to be the military. I mean, that, that's terrible. It's it militarized the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it, they, they, they have kind of an odd logo, and they, they got the block W, so to speak, like Wisconsin, but then they have a, uh, a patch, it looks like, with three stars on it. I'm assuming that's for the, Rose, with the uh, Super Bowls that they've gone to. Now, if you win another Super Bowl or another one, you add another star on it, then you have to buy all kinds of new stuff as well. I don't know. I mean, Snyder is a marketing whiz, so to speak. But even as we speak, you know, another situation came up with regards to uh, him as an owner in terms of some kind of uh, inappropriate uh, touching of, of a no, former former uh, employee and things like this. So. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably, even though he's done this with respect to picking and kicking and screaming, he's changed the name of the old Washington Redskins to now the different Washington Commanders. I think that he's going to be continuously uh, looking in the back rearview mirror with respect to all this different stuff that's come out. I mean, that certainly hasn't stopped that aspect of it. I mean, it stopped the uh, the name uh, type of situation, but it didn't stop the activity with respect to the way that the organization has been run and who's been in there and what kind of treatment some of these employees have mm-hmm. have uh, been uh, has been given and that's something that will just stands the test of time and will not go away and uh, so I, I it's a little bit of mixture there was uh, like I say I think everybody was that there was some talk about the uh, uh, different kinds of uh, naming rights and things like this, and with respect to wolves, that was a very heavy name, and that that somehow didn't didn't pass muster in terms of uh, something negative about a wolf and whatever. I mean, I it goes a lot deeper than here, and so I, I mean, I think that this is it's bound to it's not going to please everybody. It's uh, probably going to make a lot of old uh, hardliners unhappy, and uh, yeah. But it's it is what it is, as they say. It is what it is, indeed. Uh, so the feeling I'm getting is you, you don't love the team name, Pat. But uh, I don't know that anybody was going to love it, no matter what it was, right? I think that's often uh, what we get in sports when there's change. We're we're uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's not often we embrace it right away, right? Uh, well, the, it all boils down to Alex. The, the bottom line is you know how you play anyway. Yeah, right. So if, right. They, they all of a sudden seem to be a much better team, and whatever, everybody will love it. And exactly. I was going to say, Pat, right? Yeah. If they go out and win the NFC East next year, we're going to love the commander's name. Exactly. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to like it. Because I think initially a lot of people were not fans of the, the Washington football team name, me being one of them, but I've really come around to love it, right? I think the Washington football team sounds kind of tough, right? Like we're the football yeah. team. Uh, so maybe the same thing will happen with the commanders. I guess we'll see. Yeah, in some respects, the simpler the better. And the football team, see, there's certain uh, cachet to it, so to speak, of being a little bit above, you know, uh, fighting and uh, uh, different kinds of animals and things like this. And the football club has just got a little bit of an aura to it. So. I agree with you. I I, would, I don't know that I would if say. Well, you have to say change the name for the sake of change. Just leave it the way it is. I mean, it's been accepted, and maybe do some work with a logo and things like this. But it, uh, I think it might have been accepted just as much, if not more, than the other one. This is the Pat Richter Show here on one hundred point five ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on demand. Alex Strofe, alongside former Wisconsin athletic director Pat Richter. 
And Pat, let's switch gears now. Let's move over to Wisconsin hopes because uh, a big one earlier in the week as Wisconsin falls to Illinois in Champaign, a final of 80-67. to And I think we have found a big issue for Wisconsin. When they match up with a true big man, it makes for some issues. Kofi Coburn drops 37 in the Wisconsin loss, uh, and Wisconsin really had no, no real answers for him defensively, but still a decent effort from the Badgers. What was your takeaway from Wednesday night's game? Hey, I agree. It was, it was a good effort. It was, I mean, I, I was just amazed every time we seemed to come down through the second half and throw it up. I said, oh, my God, we're only still seven points down. And, and it wasn't happening. But you know, the shooting as bad as we did, I mean, to have like what I think with Davis and Davison, there was like eight out of 31 or something like that. Well, that's almost t- like 25%. I mean, you're not going to win many games like that. I mean, if they would have hit just even a, a quarter of those uh, three-pointers, they would have been way out in front. And I, I don't know. I, I still get a little bit of a bitchy, bitchy mind in terms of, you know, look, Coburn. I mean, he, he could stand in that lane for as long as he wanted. Didn't seem to be moving out of there, in and out of much. He should have gotten called, I think, a couple times in there. We, you get more than three seconds. And, uh, and he... You know, he finally got called for bumping uh, Stro, uh, Alex or Kroll. I mean, he finally got because you know, he was bumping every time he moved. Bang, he'd, he'd take his space back, and so I mean, there's certain things you can't do in that regard. And then, mm. you know, we get called for a flopping. So, there's always just seem to be the same old things, and I think that there was a number of calls that were not not good. But still, all in all, we were we were in it, so to speak. And you know, sometimes Johnny tries to do too much and gets in trouble, and, and Brad the same way. And Crawl seemed to be a little bit reluctant to throw up a three there early on. But uh, I don't know that anybody other than Edie from Purdue uh, who matches up against Coburn. I don't think anybody would have done any better. I was I kept thinking. Is this a time we we would like to have a zone defense? I don't know if it is or not. I mean, it uh, the, the player in the in the, the lines in the or free throw line, they got to move around a little bit more. Maybe it'll keep him out of the out of the the center there, so to speak, and uh, make it more difficult for him. But they had a couple other guys that really came to play, and and the, one of their guys was injured and kind of starting. He didn't really have a, a great game, but he certainly is going to be a tough one to follow. But you know they got a they've got a really nice team, and then they're uh, I, don't, I just keep wondering what, how, how do they lose a couple games they're with? Like Coburn was probably wasn't playing, but he's a handful, and he's he's got good good skills, left hand, right hand. But uh, and like for, there was one play I think it was where he was backing in the crawl, and he actually threw his head back and and hit crawl right in the face so to speak. I mean, is that not a call? I mean, there's some crazy things that you just wonder about sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> they get a lot more respect than they deserve, and they get a lot more leeway. I certainly don't think Johnny Davis gets a lot of leeway. He gets he gets hammered that one time when they were trying to say it was a good block. I mean, Coburn's body was all over Davis and knocked him on the floor. So, But it's good experience. Toughens everybody up a little bit. I think Carlson is playing a little bit better, and... Uh, and I think that Bowman is starting to show some uh, signs as well. And so I think there's not too much to dislike about it other than the fact it was a bad night uh, shooting-wise. And had they been a little bit better, they would have won the game. And uh, I think that's the way you have to look at it. 
Yeah, Penn State, a Saturday night matchup uh, tonight when you're when you're, uh, you're hearing this. We're recording on Friday, but uh, Saturday night matchup with Penn State at the Kohl Center. And then uh, on Wednesday, they go to Michigan State, which could be the biggest game remaining on their schedule, maybe other than uh, the, the Purdue matchup uh, to start off March. But uh, we're kind of winding down all of a sudden, Pat. It's, it's crazy. Every year it feels like the college hoops regular season just flies by. Uh, but Wisconsin right in the thick of it. Now, that game against Illinois on Wednesday was for sole first-place possession of the Big Ten. So Illinois in first place as of recording, a half a game ahead of Michigan State. Wisconsin's just a game back, and there's a total of six teams within two games of the Big Ten League. Uh, this league is just phenomenal again this year, Pat. And I know we say this mostly every year about the Big Ten, but really it feels like this year there is just so many good teams uh, and so many teams capable of making a run. Does this raise the excitement for the Big Ten tournament for you, or does it make you a little bit more nervous knowing any team could have a good night uh, and could could shorten the Badgers' run in the Big Ten tournament? Well, I think, sure, it makes a difference in the seeding and things like that, but I I, I agree with you. You just have to be on your top of your game every night and just hopefully win the ones at home and take a few on the road. And, you know, at this Penn State game, I would uh, I would give that as much attention as the Michigan State game because wow. you can't afford to lose those kinds of games. And uh, and I think you got to you know, just pay a lot of attention. I mean, we've, we've uh, on occasion, played down to the opponent and made it real close. And... Uh, but, you know, whether it's Northwestern or whether it's Penn State or Rutgers or Maryland, I mean, given the right circumstances, they're going to be tough and they're, they can beat you. And you just don't want it to have happen at a home, home court advantage. Make sure you win all those games. And then, of course, with Michigan State next week, you know, you can't really look ahead, obviously, because that's when you really get in trouble. But it's going to be a tough schedule, but you're still going to be in a good place in a tournament. And the seeding in the Big Ten, and then as well as in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, it's I think understandable given the power rating of the conference that you're going to lose a few games. And I think we just need need to make sure that we keep playing to the best of our ability and say, you know, we're we're not that number ten team that you told you told us you were we were early before the season started. This is a good team, and it's it's showing its its, its skill, not just the luck and keeping. It's just so some people are not believers, but I think anybody that's watching says he's got a lot of heart, and especially the only thing that's going to knock him down is bad shooting and and, and getting into foul trouble. You got to love the youth on this team too, Pat. Obviously, uh, next year, and I don't want to look at too far, but you'll likely be without Brad Davison and Johnny Davis, but. You're pretty much returning everybody else. So uh, to see some of those names you mentioned earlier, guys like Chucky Hepburn and Crowell and et cetera, who are Bowman, who are getting some serious reps, uh, and they'll be back next year. So uh, you've got to be happy with outside of Davison and, and Johnny Davis, who will likely – I know he's only a sophomore, but will likely go to the NBA after this year. Uh, you've got to like the youth on this team. They're really scrapping and getting some really valuable minutes here, uh, here, here as we wind down in the regular season. Yeah, and I think you know Tyler Wall is someone that doesn't get sure. as much uh, attention and publicity as some of the other guys do. But I think we uh, show how important he is when we weren't when he wasn't playing, and or he's not not 100 percent. But he uh, he's got the aggressiveness, and he's got the toughness, and uh, and he gives an added element there that really is very important. When we the other guys are not doing well, get it to him. Still find a way somehow to press it in on the inside, try to get some fouls and, and mm-hmm. get some easy buckets. And uh, and I think that he's kind of an 
little more of an unsung hero, but certainly uh, done a heck of a job this year. No doubt about it. Uh, it gets real fun. So Penn State tonight and a matchup with Michigan State next Wednesday, the two next up for the Wisconsin Badgers, who are still uh, still looking like a top 15 team in the country, but a tough loss to Illinois earlier in the week. We'll see what the ranking is come Monday. But the Big Ten, full of a bunch of really good teams. So we will see, but we'll talk more about that next week here on the Pat Richter Show as the season Rolls on, and we approach Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament time, uh, but the Badgers certainly looking for a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. Last thing I want to hit on you with you, Pat, is the Super Bowl is set, Cincinnati and Los Angeles. For the second straight year, uh, a team is going to play in the Super Bowl in their home stadium. We had gone 55 years without that happening, and now it happens two years in a row with the Rams uh, getting a home Super Bowl. That's certainly got to be an advantage, right, Pat? Well, you'd think so, but given the playoff game with uh, San Francisco, it didn't, from a number standpoint, it didn't really show up at all, and uh, that's crazy. You know, I mean, they're just so hung up either on the Lakers or the uh, the Dodgers that kind of this team has kind of lost a little bit of the support. But maybe this is what's going to kick it in, and uh, and I think that this should be a heck of a game. I think that uh, you know Burrow has done a just done a terrific job. I mean, here's a kid that. You know, nobody expected this out of him. I think he would be the first, uh, second-year or third-year player to get the Super Bowl. I mean, he – but he started – I saw an interview they did with him, and he's just a sharp kid. He's, he's fearless, and he understands uh, the way to win. And uh, I think he's a 7-0 and in any kind of a postseason-type opportunity. He's been with the bowl games and things like this, 7-0, and so he's a gamer. And I think that that – you know, with Aaron Daniel, he's got a he's on a mission to uh, to get a Super Bowl ring, just to kind of put the cap on his career. And, uh, and I, but I think that you know the the whole uh, business about uh, the, the Bengals is kind of this is one of those things you can kind of to be a little bit sleepy on them, and uh, you're going to be in trouble. And uh, I think nobody gave them a chance. They only won four games last year, two mm-hmm. the year before. And here they're in the Super Bowl this year, and you know they they, they beat the Chiefs, where everybody loved them to be a, in the Super Bowl. But uh, I think that the, those are the kinds of teams that just don't have a lot of stars on them, but they're just guys that play well together, and they're on a mission. And then it was kind of interesting to see uh, Paul Brown's son, Mike Brown. I mean, Paul Brown was in there for years with the Cleveland uh, Cleveland Browns, and. And family's been around for many, many years. So they, uh, they, uh, they've got a mission with respect to the Bengals. It goes to prove that uh, the right people in the right place, but the quarterback can really do some good things. And so I think that uh, that's one thing that they've proved to a lot of people. That they can, they, they do, the organization is put together well, and they've prudently uh, signed certain people. I think it's too bad Joe Schobert's not still with them because uh, – yeah, yeah, he was a kind of a real key person there, and uh, and so it it could be. I mean, it'll be the underdog certainly, and uh, but when you get in that last game, uh, anybody can win, and, and it, just like you said, with respect to the Big Ten, anybody can beat anybody on a certain day, and so whoever makes the fewest mistakes, maybe a couple of special teams plays, can take the game, and so uh, looking forward to it. 
So uh, are we pro Rams then with Rob Havenstein and uh, and Edwards, um, David Edwards, former Badgers, uh, playing for the Rams? Are, are we are we cheering for the Rams, trying to get those former Badgers those rings? Or where well, where, where do we so. stand? I, I think so. I I, I think the Rams got a nod. I think also just because of Stafford, he's had taken so much yeah. beating over the years. You'd like to see the guy doing well. And even last week, uh, when they, even the playoff game. I thought, oh man, there's a couple times when he's just going to throw that baby up for grabs like he used to do. He remember seeing a lot of the Packer games with him throwing up for the grabs, and so uh, <laughs> he's put in his played his his dues, and uh, I think he and, and and Daniel is such a great player, but it's good to see a couple of Badgers in there, and uh, so I think on the edge uh, I would give give him a nod to the Rams. And I, I want to flip back to Joe Burrow, who you mentioned just a second ago. Uh, if he's able to pull off a Heisman Trophy, a national championship, and a Super Bowl in three years, I mean, that would be one of the most unbelievable runs we've probably ever seen between college football and the NFL. I mean, this guy's really on the cusp of history, something we really haven't seen. Cam Newton almost had the opportunity to do it a couple of years back, back in 20, uh, what would that have been, 2015 season, I believe. Uh, but Joe Burrow going to do it real quick if he's able to win the Bengals their first Super Bowl ever. Well, plus he yeah, came back from an ACL injury too as right. well. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's probably one of the biggest things to overcome, but uh just shows the kind of person he is in terms of uh, the work ethic he had to get back and get healthy and be successful. He makes good decisions, and, uh, and he's tough. I mean, he ran the ball there when he had to, and uh, – you know he's he's physically tough. He's a good athlete, and so I think he's certainly more talented in raw talent than than Stafford is. But uh, he certainly covered the bases with everything. And you know it's just crazy that it's, it was it Ohio State that had him, and they let him go to LSU and the transfer and yep. things like this. Yep. I mean he uh, he's kind of done it all. They may say people that you can make it make it, Initial decision and change your mind and still come out smelling like a rose. <laughs> well said, and that's where we'll leave it. We'll preview the Super Bowl a bit more next week as uh, we gear up for that. But, Pat, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time as always. Stay warm out there, and we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, Alex. Good night. That's the great Pat Rick. That's the great Pat Richter here on the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on Demand. We're brought to you by Oak Park Place and Simden Chevy in Mount Horeb. Always a pleasure to hear uh, everything Pat thinks on the world of sports because that guy's got a, a very unique perspective. So we'll do it again next week, each week right here on ESPN Madison, 8 a.m. on your Saturday. This has been the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin on Demand.